Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here as always, your host of the show as we're steadily moving along to the finish line of the 2021 tennis season. This week's guest on the show is the Senior Editorial Manager for Tennis.com where you can find a lot of his great work there, including a cover story on a man playing today, Francis Tiafo. Welcome to the show, Ed McGrogan. Ed, first time chatting on this platform, so glad to have you. Yeah, you're making a distinction there. We, we've It's been a while since you and I have caught up, but uh, happy to be on this specific platform and happy to talk uh, Francis as well. Yeah, we the last time we chatted was right before the 2020 U.S. Open. It was tennis literally in a bubble. You were on the grounds talking about how eerie and spooky it seemed. And, you know, to go from that U.S. Open to this one with the crowd back and everything started starting to open up, it was almost like a, like a footnote, like an ending to that insane period that we're going to mark throughout history. And I have to ask you, someone that's been a journalist in this field for so long, what has that process been like of almost getting through, um, not completely unscathed, but getting through covering tennis in a pandemic, in a bubble, to now see things start to get back to normal? Yeah, you realize what you have. You realize what the sport is really about uh, because these are the many things you you take for granted um, until they're taken away. So... Um, in terms of tennis specifically, we're only now getting to the point where you can see something on the horizon of a normal calendar again. And even, I mean, 2022 probably still isn't going to be completely back at that point, but I, I'm, I'm so glad we're getting closer to it. And, you know, it, it made, I think I mentioned this, maybe the, even the last time we talked, I mean, it certainly makes you uh, a little bit more creative, you know, kind of finding things that you never really would talk about. And I, quite honestly, for a sport that can sometimes be as repetitive as tennis can be, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing um, to find some new, um, to, some new storylines and new ways to talk about things. So experience I never want to go through again, but uh, I think we did okay, all things considered. That 2021 U.S. Open a couple months ago, you have the fans back and you just realize what a different, it almost felt like a different sport, like that the players were playing because they obviously feed off of it. And, you know, it's cliche, but they made a difference in a lot of those matches, especially for those Americans, one who we're going to talk about in a second for sure. Yeah, it was, you know, a lot of sporting events, truth be told, you know, from a fan perspective, I mean, it seems to me, and this goes beyond tennis, that you're seeing sporting events where, you know, you're either getting hesitancy for crowds to come back, which I understand, or you're, you know, you're still not back in that, um, that peak fan mode, if you will. But the U.S. Open, I thought was, you know, it's sort of, it was kind of the explosion that I thought impressed across all sports. Um, and, you know, not all tennis tournaments to this point have had that, um, that same buzz back. I, you know, Indian Wells didn't have that same uh, attendance level, that same sort of vigor to it. Uh, but the U.S. Open, in spite of some pretty big name, you know, withdrawals too, 
Um, that really impressed. I think everybody took a lot. I think everybody took that away from the event. So um, I, I thought tennis did very well in that. And, you know, the most important thing, thankfully, is, is that it doesn't appear that, you know, these big outdoor events with huge capacities have had any big impact on cases and mm -hmm. such. So you don't have to feel bad about it either, which I know, which I think was justifiable to think so at the time. It was a great opportunity for the players that were committed to playing that didn't have to deal with injuries like some of the big names who for a various a various reasons weren't at the US Open. It was the land of opportunity for a lot of players, one of which is Francis Tiafo, the story on tennis.com, a great article that I encourage everybody out there to read. Francis Tiafo is a young American player and as we recorded just went final. He did beat Sitsipas again. So it'll it'll tie into what we're talking about here. But a young yeah, American. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't <laughs> it does, hurt. Yeah. It, it does not hurt. The the young American player who has a lot to like about his game, the fact that it is that he plays the way he plays is one thing. But the crux of this story is that this is a player who has a lot of confidence and lights up a room, as our colleague Nick Monroe said. He is somebody that fully has that belief that on any given day he can beat any player in the world. As you started to dive into the story of Francis TFO beyond just the exciting match play. Was there anything about his story, his belief system that surprised you or intrigued you as you peeled back some layers? I mean, I I, I think it's he's an interesting case for a lot of reasons. The biggest is kind of to what you're saying is I think you can actually sort of throw the rankings out with Francis in a way. Um, earlier in this issue of the magazine, we actually looked at the totality of, of American men and women and how there's a great quantity of, of, of strong players, but not exactly that quality that you're going to compare to the eras of the nineties, even Andy Roddick times like that, mm -hmm. um, Serena Venus, et cetera. But um, something with Francis that I have noticed, and I really noticed at the U S open, which is why I, I wanted to focus on him was it doesn't really matter what this guy is ranked. He's actually never been an all told that high of a ranking. Even right now, he's just hovering on the top 50, but you would never get that impression when you watch him play based on A, the crowd reaction, B, how his opponents play him. I mean, they respect him like he is a top 10 player. I feel like they know that to your, you know, to what you just said, kind of at any point, this guy can play exactly like a top 10 player. Um, and what I discovered writing the story was, you know, I think, I think those assertions were backed up by the people who know him best. I, I talked, he had, he played doubles this year um, with three different partners. Kyrgios is one, the other two, Nick Monroe and Rajiv Ram. And I talked to the first two and they effectively said that this is a really special player that, um, you know, I, I think can be, that can, some people can get a, the wrong impression of perhaps. Certainly he has his showmanship, um, but I think, the big difference is this guy backs it up and he has a really, and you know, he's, he's still headstrong despite some of the bravado you may see. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I think overall for, for Francis, it was, it was backing up sort of the impressions that I got on him and we can get into those later, but a very special player who I think is a really good buy low candidate right now, as I put it. Yeah. And, and, just to kind of go off what you said, diving into American tennis, it's that Riley Opelka quote where he acknowledged it. Like we have a lot of players ranked in the top 100, but we don't have those quote unquote world beaters. And for whatever reason, we can get into the backstory of why that may or may not be the case. But the point being Francis Tiafo has, you know, I, it was funny. I got to speak with him uh, 
a couple months, probably six or seven months ago. And the two things that struck me were he is a down to earth guy. I mean, it's, it's a really personable guy who is engaging in a conversation, but you touched on it. He's authentic. It's, you see him on the court and it's not bragging. He has that belief system. He's not somebody that likes to rub it in, so to speak, but he really believes that he can be the best in the world. And that's something that I think we take for granted from some of the people that have gotten to that level to have that belief system, to know that, you know, everybody who says they can beat the top players, Ed, but to go out there and actually back it up, as you say, it's a pretty tough feat and it's a pretty tall task. And Rajiv Ram was the one in your piece who said, he, I was struck by how hard the kid works, how he's like a student to some of these veterans who have been around for such a long time. Yeah, Rajiv, uh, even though they only played one, uh, two matches at the Olympics together, um, they lost their second rounder, but he was so impressed by the, um, the you know, the questions that he had, that Francis was asking him, him during game planning for their matches. He was, you know, he put it something along the lines of, you know, when it's time to work, this guy works like no other. And I think for Francis, I mean, I think players appreciate that. I think to your, what you just said about authenticity, the fans, I think that's a big reason why he is so likable. Um, there's a difference, I think, between cockiness and confidence that he walks very well. Um, he he told you know, he certainly believes in himself, but he I, I think when Francis takes, you know, I talk a few about a few of the big wins he has, but when he does take losses, I mean, he really feels that too. I mean, he he looks inward. I think he's looked to figure out, you know, the right way to, to go forward from, from, you know, something, an obstacle that he didn't overcome. He's got a, a great coaching hire in Wayne Ferrer. I mean, he's, he's doing, he, he is definitely getting the most out of whatever he's able to bring. And I think he will over the course of his career because of that. and I think there are a lot of players, American players, otherwise that, they can surge temporarily and might, you know, might not have that longevity. I think Francis is very much in it for the long yep. game. And I think his love of the sport is one reason. I think he just, you know, he, he, he's willing to put in the work and we're, we're seeing that now. We just saw it a few minutes ago. The growth in his game too, it could be mentally, it could be on the court as well. He loses that, what, near four hour match to Andy Murray last week and, and, it's, it took a lot out of him. It took a lot out of both men, obviously. But for him to bounce back, treat this week like a brand new week, turn the page, not something that a lot of young players can easily do. I find it also fascinating, too, just looking back at the tennis history book, that we're in this era where players are reaching their peak later in their adult life and their pro career that maybe 30, 40 years ago, you'd say, well, TFO's been around forever. It's not happening. Is it ever going to happen? But we're looking at it now like this is, as you say, at the long haul. He's put in a lot of years to his craft, and I think we're just starting to see him scratch the surface to being that elite, consistent player. I think that you know this group of Americans is actually benefiting from the fact that we have not had that transcendent U.S. player on the men's or women's side in a while. Now, Corey Goff certainly could become that player, but I think even her, to a degree, is going to get some you know get some more slack cut based on. You know, it's it's gone. It's been a long time since we've had the Pete Sampras's, the Roddicks, the Agassiz, the Serena Venus. So I think there's a bit more understanding of, you know, where the U.S.'s place in the tennis world is. I mean, the world has certainly produced incredible players that we, quote unquote, we have to compete with. I never love to use that term, but if we're thinking about it in U.S. tennis terms, so I think that for in in 
how that relates to Francis is, yeah, he is, you know, like I said, he's not a top 15 player right now, but people are, I think are willing to, to, uh, you know, let him experience those ups and downs because, you know, if if you find someone with a quality like he has, you know, that's something to be treasured as well. So I, I think it's a very exciting time if you're a fan of his. And I think, I think you have to be encouraged by what you may see in 22, especially with him ending the year so well right now. Absolutely. And uh, just just one final note on the article. I wanted to bring up the Kyrgios comparisons because it was something that I think has to be brought up because of the exciting style, the fact that they are friends and they've gotten along and played doubles together so well. But you point out an important distinction is that you kind of know what Francis is going to give you effort-wise every single match. And it's somebody that I think in that way can be more exciting. The, the, the phrase that gets overused a lot is what tennis needs. And I think you even brought that up in your piece. But the fact that TFO plays the way he does, has that crowd support, has kids as a youth be on, on his side as well, but that also he's got that reliability factor. You might not have your A game every week, but the effort, that's never really been in question with Francis. Yeah, the curious part was, you know, like I said, there was three players he played doubles with and Nick was the, the third. And I was, I just got thinking about it a little bit and, um, and, you know, Nick and Francis are really good friends. I mean, they, like I said, they play together. There's a lot of social media back and forth that they love. And the way I thought about it in the end was that, you know, we continuously wait and wait and wait and wait for Curios to deliver on something that most likely we're never going to get this sky high expectation of a player who is as charismatic and as talented and as unique as him, but is also this completely focused player when he's on the court, that's going to win 16 grand slams. It's just it that ship, I think sailed a long time ago, but I think what people enjoy about Kyrgios is something, a lot of that Francis himself brings to the court. And I think, I honestly think Nick would be one of the first people to admit that. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not sure I put Nick in the best light in this, in the end of that piece, but I thought in the way it's, you know, it's more just, it, it's more just commending Francis for, you know, he, the best quote that he had in this story, or and this was during the U.S. Open, was that what really matters is him playing in front of kids that their parents spent their money out to go bring him out and win or lose. The most important thing was how he conducted himself and how he performed in front of them. And, you know, that's what I mean in the end is that you're never going to, you're never going to get something that you're not expecting with Mm -hmm. Francis and quite honestly, you may get more and we'll see where he goes from here. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Ed McGrogan here on Tennis Channel Inside In. I think it's uh, a very fair and uh, articulates why TFO is so exciting. And uh, getting to today's action, he beats Tsitsipas for the second time this year. Beat him at Wimbledon in the first round. Beats him in three sets, drops the first today, and uh, comes back and wins. What strikes me about TFO, especially on indoor hard courts when you can really hear the ball pop and, and really break down exactly when these two players are playing, but Francis has a very tactical approach to the game. 
that watching that Murray match and watching him play and, and watching him play the Sitsipas match, that it was a completely different strategy. He's got that aggressive style of coming to the net. He took his lumps when Sitsipas passed him. And honestly, he took a first set where Sitsipas was serving untouchable levels. Francis digs deep from a breakdown the third and, and wins this one 6-4. Just a tremendous effort. Again, proving your theory right that he can beat anybody in any given day. Yeah, he almost buried the lead there. He was down 3-0 in the third and then ends up winning six of the final seven games. Um, yeah, this, I mean, at, at that point, you know, I'm just about, you know, it, it's very hard to see someone coming back against Stefanos as well as he was playing at points in this match. I mean, Sitsipas when he's on, is really pretty much, you know, he is fantastic to watch as well. But Tiafa, you know, what he did so well is, you know, he's he's really unwavering in his approach. If he gets past, you know, that's okay. He knows the strategy that works for him. And I think a lot of pro players that do succeed, they they understand that they've gotten to the points where they've gotten to because they they rely on a, a time-honored and practiced a million times over strategy that you know, if they play it perfectly, it's going to be hard to beat them. So, you know, Tiafo did that today. I mean, he, he, you could say he benefited from some Sitsipas stuff in the third set. There's two service games, in fact, where Sitsipas gives double faults mm. and loses the game. But I would also contend that that might be a result of Sitsipas having to deal with these aggressive returns and you know that just adds nerves onto his end so you have to commend francis for that as well so he's applying pressure kind of constantly in various ways mentally physically um you know his forehand is just incredible to hear indoors like you said i mean it's like a pop gun when that goes off and you know there are some things that, he, that he'll work on i mean i don't think his backhand is is you know just where his, that is the liability that he's going to have. And I think Stavanos exposed that for a little bit today. But over time, I mean, the guy is so fit. He plays great. You've seen it at the Grand Slams. I mean, yeah. he does well in best of five because the guy, he's he's a statue that hits a tennis ball. And not that Sitsipas can't keep up with that, but he was just too much today. And, you know, that's a, that's one of his best wins of the year, bar none. Absolutely. Especially knowing that Sitsipas had, had already seen him get beat by him and was going to dig deep, but it was Francis serving well, getting to the net, just phenomenal stuff. Uh, Vienna's been uh, an interesting tournament, and I think we can look at it. Another guy we've been talking about for the last couple months, his road to recovery, how he's been playing better, steadily moving up the rankings, Andy Murray. He beats Herkaj before falling to Alcaraz. Herkaj was his first top 10 win since the Cincinnati via New York tournament in 2020 when he beats Vera. Wow. But Good but, yeah. but Murray is somebody that this this process has been so long and drawn out that you can't just, in my opinion, you just have to appreciate the work, the effort, and what's going into this recovery from a guy that, bears repeating, has one real hip in his body. Yeah, you. I mean, I think Murray has been this winner of, amidst this year ending where Federer and Nadal Djokovic are going to end the year with 20 slams apiece, and you're like, what room is there for Murray in this discussion? Yeah. And somehow he has managed to, you know, come off, I think, even more impressively in this, you know, either 2.0 or 3.0 stage of his career where, you know, I'm not sure if you're going to see this stage of, I, I know you're not going to with Roger. I, I think he's, you know, his, his schedule has been cut so significantly, but, you know, can you imagine, I, I guess in the real twilight of their careers, I mean, 
Rafa, Djokovic, I mean, are they going to kind of dig to, you know, Murray was playing a challenger uh, a couple, you know, not that long ago. I mean, he was doing that in the second week of one of the majors where he was ousted early and opted to play that. Um, the guy loves tennis and they all do, but Murray is going to end up being someone who we, we think of, you know, as part of that great group of champions because of what he's accomplished and what he accomplished uh, amongst them. But He's also going to have these, some of these perils to like Andre Agassi, where he just, he, he loves playing the game. Um, you know, not that Andre always loved playing. That's kind of the point of his book, but that's either here or there, nor there, but Murray just has, he, he's just not letting go. He, he, yeah. I think that man wants to wring every single thing out of, out of what he's got. And honestly, I mean, I think you have to kind of be a bit encouraged, you know, at, when you look ahead to 22, like, Sure, Murray can do some damage. I mean, yep. and I mean, he's got more experience than pretty much anyone out there at this point. So, kudos to him, absolutely. Still so clutch in these big moments. Uh, you saw it in the Hercosh match, obviously in the Francis match from uh, last week. But and losing to a guy in Alcaraz who he had beaten at Indian Wells, the 18-year-old kid is already quickly quickly ascending, maybe quicker than we thought. But he's shown tremendous growth as Alcaraz had uh, in just the last couple of months. His performance over Sitsipas beating him at the U.S. Open, but this is a guy with a very lethal forehand and uh, a lot of easy power on his game. He's one that you know we we really have to monitor for him throwing his hat in the race for being one of the top players in the game very very soon. Yeah, this is turning into the Sitsipas punching bag show, I, know, I guess. Unfortunately, with, with all this, yeah. but um, yeah, Alcaraz. Look, um, some people were on him earlier than I was. You know credit to them for for seeing this um some colleagues of mine and and when i i mean the us open was certainly the coming out party for him he he had um a really early clay court title um before that but yeah when you can't forget about the matches that he put together um in new york i mean ultimately he was actually only derailed by physical uh ailments when he um retired against uh, faa uh, in new york but um, yeah, you see the build on him. The forehand is obviously just tremendous. And, you know, the, the thing, like I said, we talked about comparisons to players. And, you know, the one thing you want to avoid are those inevitable Rafa comparisons because um, that's just so high of a, of a thing to live up to. Uh, but the big thing with Alcaraz is it seems like, you know, faster surfaces are going to be what he actually does best on. Um, and this is, I think, a sort of, a reflection of uh, the way tennis academy training has really evolved in the past, you know, in the years almost since Rafa, where yeah. um, it's more all court. Um, and, you know, I think Alcarez is, you know, on in the men's side, he's got to be, you know, the young name to watch, um, you know, and I think he's, he's the dark horse for a lot of tournaments coming up when, when people start looking at them in 22. I'm glad you brought up fast surfaces and another player that's done so well on them is Yannick Sinner, who's also still just 20 years old. He won in Antwerp. Uh, I didn't even know this stat until our team tweeted it out, but 10-0 in his last 10 indoor hardcourt matchups with, I don't think he's dropped a set either. So it's just been a tremendous, tremendous growth for him. Five titles now before his 21st birthday. You'd have to go back to Djokovic to find someone who's done that. And it's very efficient. I don't want to say boring. That gets thrown out there a lot. But you watch his matches. You watch what he does. Doesn't really have many weaknesses, does center. And it's just a very efficient style. And he plays downhill, especially indoors. 
Yeah, the Djokovic, that's a really good one. That came up uh, after his win last week. I mean, Sinner, um, the stereotypical Italian player is more, you know, flash, uh, you know, one-handed backhand, typically, um, you know, you have guys like Fanini, Massetti, guys like that in your mind. Sinner, you know, he's born in northern, he's born in very northern Italy. Uh, practically, it's practically a German little enclave of the country, actually. Um, you get that, you can tell from his name, it's 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 more Germanic, actually, than Italian, but also in the way that he plays a bit, too. I mean, the, the, he is kind of this throwback player. He's kind of an old soul, um, and I think he sort of embraces that, and I think the, I think he's going to be part of this 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 wave of players that's coming through here. Uh, you know, he's not that much older than Alcarez as well. So, you know, we're seeing again, players that you might typically have expected to thrive um, on slower surfaces, but they're winning around the world. They're winning really, you know, and I, I'm curious to see, honestly, these guys went, you know, on grass at some point too. Like we, we're going to get a, a bigger sample size of them yeah. at events like Queens, Eastbourne, Wimbledon, for example, and you know, how their games translate from January all the way into it is going to be fascinating. But um, yeah, center is his. And the other thing with him as well is he's been doing that since January, February of this year. We're, we're into a very late part of the season and it really hasn't relented at all so much. So it's, you know, part of that's his youth. He, he, I think you're willing to kind of play anything and you've got the energy to burn. Uh, but part of it is just, you know, how good he is. And he's shown that already. That ski culture too, right? That former skier that's yes. really just, you know, finding a way to win and, and loves to compete. Uh, you know, he's been something to see. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. More here with uh, Ed McGrogan on Tennis Channel Inside In. Quick note on the women's side. There's a uh, big tournament going on in Transylvania where there's uh, some top players competing. But the one that we want to focus on, we've been monitoring, obviously, for the last month or so, Emma Raducanu, she's into the quarterfinals. She'll play Kostuk tomorrow as that match takes place. But it was not just her win today, which was efficient, but the first win she had in this tournament over Herkog, who Herkog, who won the first set, Ed, and it was not looking good in the second set. And I know you were following this match, commenting on it on Twitter, really diving into the specifics. This wasn't about, as you said, X's and O's. This was just about fighting and her having to really dig deep to find a way to turn the tide and prevent a little bit of a losing streak, which it would have been had she lost that one. Yeah. Trace, you know, Tracy Austin on tennis channel was calling that match. And, and I thought it was perfect for her to be the one to talk about Emma Raducanu because she was in a very similar spot to her years ago, um, winning the U S open at a very, very young age, and you get the expectations that come along with that. Now, the difference is that Radakanu could not have been less known, nationally speaking, before this Open. She, she qualified for the tournament. It was one of the more just uh, incredible stories in, in sports, let alone tennis. And, you know, three weeks later, 
my grandmother, who hardly watches the game, was talking about this 18-year-old British qualifier and the 20-year-old that she was playing from Canada across the net. So, and that hasn't subsided, by the way. I mean, the, the Fernandez and Raducanu are have really tapped into something that um, the WTA is going to absolutely thrive off of. Just, just to say. Um, so there's a lot for those two. But in terms of Emma, yeah, I mean, the big thing is, that, of course, the difference is that she's no longer she's the hunted now and whether it's it's you know it's it's something of a, a not her doing like it, you know you just this is this is this is the way it's what happens when you win yeah out. when you win this happens so um to her i mean you, you want to get obviously that first win out of the way right away before this kind of builds because it just compounds upon each other and I'm sure she was feeling that, I mean, in dropping the first set and looking like she might go down in straights here. And if that was the case, she would have had 10 consecutive straight set wins followed by two consecutive straight set losses. Um, the big stat I loved was that this is like, this is her sixth main draw period and she's already a U.S. <laughs> Open champion. So, you know, to her, what, what she, I thought, did well was, you know, just, again, it's, to kind of bring it back to Francis in a weird way, it's it's doing what you do best. I mean, she had to kind of get over a bit of a mental block to get that second set, but the third set she opened up, and you you know you finally kind of saw those incredible you know backhands that she's hitting you know throughout during the U.S. Open, and you know I, I I'm happy to see her you know get a win like that. I mean you 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 can tell that. I think you can already tell that the way 2022 could go for her is it's going to be just relentless focus on her. You know, this is just, and this is before six months down the road, before you get to Wimbledon, before you get back to New York, it's going to be, you know, how she handles it is going to say a lot about herself. I'm sure she's going to handle it fine. She, she honestly, I thought has, has kind of spoken in, in sort of veteran like ways, even as she was doing so well at the open, it was, that was impressive. So, it's a good win for her, you know, to get to this point. We'll see how she does the rest of the week. But I think Emma, um, you know, stock is still uh, to rise on her. But um, I wish her the best of luck, too, because she's in for kind of a new challenge in a way. Well, Wimbledon next year is going to be quite a scene. That's You, you brought that up. It's going to be yeah, something yeah. when she makes her uh, reappearance there, which is when she first came on any radar. But it just highlights, too, there's so many ups and downs in a pro tennis career let alone like someone that wins a championship. She's so young. This is going to happen. You can't win every match, but I, I, I was happy that she got the first one out of her way in a weird way. And it reminded me of uh, Ash Barty at Miami who had that first match, had a match point down. That was her toughest match in route to the final. So we'll see if that can I mean, Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's up and down throughout yeah. a career, a season, a, a, a single day, yeah. a, a set. I mean, that's what ten that's why tennis is as unique as it is. I mean, I mean, no sport really asks you to, you know, win, let's say like 70% of your points, but if you can't win the one significant one, you you can suffer the greatest penalties for letting it all slip away. So, I mean, the pressure that these players are dealing with, no matter if you're Raducanu or you're, or you're Andy Murray, it, it's heavy, heavy mental pressure. And anybody who plays the game, even at any level, can tell you that too. If you're any, any kind of competition, I mean, it, it's demanding. I mean, I think that's why it's so rewarding. I think that's why we love it to watch it, to play it. That's why players like Murray want to keep playing it. But 
yeah, it, it asks a lot, uh, but that's the drama in it. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to see both Emma, Francis, all these players, where, where we go from here. Um, they offer a lot already, and, and we'll see why they take it going forward. Before I let you go, uh, just some quick thoughts. If you had any on the uh, finals races that are heating up and are almost all spots are almost confirmed in the ATP race to Turin and WTA race to Guadalajara. This is two new locations. Guadalajara is a one-off based on what's going on right now with, uh, the, with the WTA finals originally scheduled in, scheduled in Asia. Turin is the new location for the ATP finals in Italy. And uh, we have six people officially in on the ATP side, seven on the WTA. There's some races still going down to the wire, some commitments that we're waiting on. But any thoughts here, Ed, on uh, their final races for the push to the end of the season? I mean, I think however they turn out, what's going to be interesting with those events is you're missing a lot of the big traditional names in both fields. Uh, Barty also is bowing out of this. I believe I believe mm-hmm. Osaka has been confirmed, and we know it is for um, for Federer, uh, Rafa. Um, you know, team has been out for a while as well. So, you know, the big thing you know, there there is a lot of opportunity, and and truth be told, the season-ending championships have been won by. Um, ascendant players the past couple of years on the men's side. You had Sitsipas winning it recently. You had Zverev, Medvedev. So all the, you know, those three in particular are going to get a big crack at another, you know, confidence booster going into 22. Um, you have players like Rublev um, as well, Casper Ruud, guy, yeah. players that have really had nice seasons that are, that are going to get um, some of their first opportunities. And, you know, on the WTA side, like if Contevite can, can qualify for it, um, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get players that are in that environment for the first time. And, you know, it's kind of the, one of the biggest moments of their career. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's interesting in and of itself, but also we're, we're going to also get the return of Novak Djokovic starting next week in Paris as well. And, um, going into the ATP finals. So, you know, that's, again, that I think is also, you know, equally as fascinating in other ways, we're going to end the year. You know, when I last saw him, he was in the press room of the open. He, I, I wasn't sure what his plan was. Was he going to, you know, call it a year? Kind of certainly a reasonable option if he wanted to, considering everything. Um, guy doesn't have anything to prove, but he's back to, you know, I would think also, you know, to try to keep Medvedev away from number one year end. I mean, he's got a little work to do for that. So I think what we'll see from Djokovic is also, um, going to be you know i think i think he's he has one more big push in him as well i'm sure he would love to you know kind of erase a bit of that sting um you know with us with another season enter he's been fantastic at this event in past years so um you know that's really what i'm looking forward to is kind of seeing what he does and then it's seeing kind of everybody else who may be getting um, a pretty significant chance of their own Still some work to be done to round out the field, but uh, we've got a lot of exciting weeks of tennis left, and these should be should be heck of a tournaments here to watch. Can't wait for that. Ed McGrogan, thanks for joining Tennis Channel Insight. And I do want to ask you uh, as a parting shot, I see the Bills hat on there, so the confidence You're is gonna, beaming. I was, <laughs> was going to do my go Bills at the end, but uh, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, we got uh, a couple important games to hopefully salt away here uh, after a tough uh, Monday nighter in Tennessee, but uh, I feel week, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You had a bye week, uh, two weeks to salt over that one. 
but they came back pretty well from that Hail Mary last year after a bye. They didn't lose a game to the <laughs> AFC title game. So I'm ex- I'm uh, hoping for similar things uh, this year. Well, I could see the Bills have you in a good mood. And, and it's, I mean, you probably are in the best mood for your sports fandom because I have heard rumblings next time we do this when it's on video. I want to see the Brian Leach shrine. I've heard rumblings of it. I know that he's oh yeah, know, I'll got to, a special I'll, play. I'll have to tell my computer this way. We can take a look at it. Rangers are looking better too, uh, and uh, right. yeah, it's a, it's a big New York sports renaissance for you and the teams you support. So props for that. Thank you. Yeah, I got my yin and yang, <laughs> my upstate and downstate teams. There you go. Ed McGrogan, you can catch his work, especially the Francis Tiafo story on tennis.com. Ed, thanks for joining the show. You got it. Anytime, Mitch. Thanks. That was Ed McGrogan on Tennis Channel Inside In. A reminder, you can catch every episode on the Tennis Podcast, Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Subscribe on all your podcast platforms. Leave ratings and reviews there to check out this show as well as the rest on our network. We'll be back next week to talk Billie Jean King Cup, more indoor tournaments as the push to the finals comes on tennis channel i'm mitch michaels brad mcgrogan this was tennis channel inside in we'll see you next week